Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Hopefully you'll be able to find it. If you, if you don't know where Genesis chapter 1 is, just go to the index and hang a right. Um, yeah, what page number is it? It's page number 1. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1. And... Uh, We'll we'll get there in a second, but I want to I want to kind of uh, sh- share a couple things quickly. I, I'm I want to talk about three things this morning that can uh, that that will come into your life. Uh, these three things will do one of two things in your life: they will make you better, or they will make you bitter. Let me say that again. These three things will do one of two things. They will make you better or they will make you bitter. But to understand, I believe, to better understand it, we need to start at the beginning. Uh, we have a picture for you here. And uh, this is uh, a uh, a thing I, I got off the internet uh, talking about creation. And <clears throat> the language of Scripture is very, very clear that God created everything out of nothing. Um, you know, evolution can come up with lots and, and lots and lots and lots of uh, theories. And they're constantly changing. I don't know if you keep up with that stuff, but you know, when I was a kid, everything was millions of years old. Now it's billions of years. You know, it's just everything's changing. But the one thing that, that uh, evolution cannot do is come up with where it all started from. There, there had to be something. And God says, no, there was nothing. He created everything from nothing. And evolution cannot answer that question. We believe that the six days of creation is six literal days. And that's important as we look at this. God, in day one, here you can see, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, said, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And he divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And day number two, God created the skies and formed a a barrier between water upon the surface and the moisture in the air. Uh, In other words, uh, uh, God gave the earth atmosphere. Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and God said, Let there be a firmament, or an atmosphere, if you would, in the midst of the water, and let it be, and let it divide the waters from, 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 uh, from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were uh, under the firmament from the uh, water which was above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven, and the uh, evening and the morning were the second day. 
On creation day number three, uh, God created dry land, continents and islands above the waters. In verses, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land <clears throat> earth, and uh, gathered together the, the waters uh, called, uh, called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And day number four, God created all the stars and the heavenly bodies. In verses 14 to 16, God said, Let there be light in the, in the firmament of the heaven uh, to divide the day from the night and let them uh, be for signs and for seasons and, and for uh, days and years. And let them uh, be light in the firmament and the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the great uh, the greater light to, to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. And I, I, I'm going to stop right here and put a little commentary. I, I love creation. I, I love creation. If for no other reason, uh, day one and day four, because God created light on day one, but he didn't create the sun until day four. I, I love that. That's the kind of God that we serve. In day five, God created all life that uh, uh, lives in the waters and also uh, makes all the birds. In verse 20, and God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly uh, the moving uh, creature uh, that hath life and fowls that fly under the earth uh, in the open firmament of heaven. In day six, God created all the creatures that lived on dry land. This includes uh, every type of creature not included in the previous days. <clears throat> and man, God declared this work was good in Genesis chapter 1, verses 25 to 27. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that uh, creeped upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good and God said let us make man in our own image after our likeness let them have dominion over the the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over the uh, all the earth and over all creeping things uh, that creepeth upon the earth so God created man uh, in his own image in the image of of God created he he him male and female created he them and then day seven which is not here which is actually day seven is not part of creation but everybody knows that uh, day seven God rested and I want to I want to make one thing very very clear God did not need to take a break okay <laughs> just saying he wasn't exhausted at the end of the week like we are uh, but God uh, did this in, in, a, in a sense to, to, to tell mankind a couple of things. One is that we need a day of rest. Uh, but it was a symbol or a sign, if, if you would, of uh, him completing his creation.
Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. I want to go back and I want to focus on day six, because day six is important to the message this morning. Day six is when God culminates his creation. Look at verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. And God saw what? Everything. Now, I want you to try and comprehend the word everything. God saw everything. that he had made and behold it was what very good it wasn't just good it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day God saw everything And he said it was very good. Do you think that God was looking at Adam and Eve singularly and saying, boy, those two, man, I did a good job on those two. Do you think it's possible that God was not only looking at what he had created, but he was looking into the future of of the earth and mankind? And he said, this thing that I have created, I understand where it's going to go, but it is very good. I believe that God had the ability to do that. And, 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 and this is my conviction that, that, that God, when you were created <clears throat> in your mother's womb, God said, that is very good. The world wants to tear us down. But God said, we are very good. I want to look at verse 27 of our passage here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, I have had many, many people through the years ask me, well, what does God mean by that? Does that mean that, that we, we look like God? Well, I don't know about you, but you can look around and we all look differently, do we not? So I don't, I don't think that that's what he's talking about. So then what is he talking about? No matter how intelligent animals are, and... and, and, and uh, 
no matter how well you can train an animal, that animal was not made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. We were made with the ability, if you would, to commune with God. Animals cannot. See, God is a trinity. We have, we have what we call, uh, in theology, what, what we call the, the, the triune Godhead. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We as human beings are made up with a, the spirit, the soul, and the body. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the Bible says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are, we are made up of three parts. And I, I, uh, uh, it's important that we understand what these three parts are and what parts they play in us. The first part that I want to talk about is, is really pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it is the body. Uh, if, if you know somebody who's walking around without a body, uh, be really, really worried, okay? <laughs> the, you know, like, like I said, everybody's got a physical body. And, and the, the fun part of having a physical body is the older you get, the more you get to understand how frail that body is. Uh, Y'all get that? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Young people are like, I don't get it. Well, you will. You will. Okay. Uh, Yeah, just, 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 you know, hit your thumb with a hammer sometime and your body will remind you it's still there. Now, the other two, the, the spirit and the soul, um, can be a little bit more confusing. So I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about the other two. The spirit and the soul are connected, but at the same time, they're separate. Okay, uh, let, let me see if I can explain this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of what? Soul and spirit. So it's the word of God that separates the soul and the spirit. It is the thing that, that God uses as a knife in our lives to, to, to help us understand the difference. The unsaved world does not understand or cannot understand uh, the difference. And he goes on, and of the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner in the thoughts 
<clears throat> excuse me, discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what is the spirit? The spirit is the part of us that connects with God. It is the, it is, uh, I, I didn't think to put this, this verse in there, but um, uh, God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It is that it is that area that we we connect with God, where where we talk to God and God talks to us. That is the that is the thing that uh, allows us or separates us from animals. The ability to commune with God. Now the soul is where we. <clears throat> uh, it is the thing that makes us who we are. It is it is our humanity. It is it is the 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 part of our lives where we um, <coughs> excuse me um, uh, we struggle with right and wrong. It is the part of our lives where 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 we struggle with good and evil where we, we struggle with happiness and sadness. It's our soul that, that is that, that the part of us that we fight with. Do, do, do you all understand? It's the soul that, that is um, the thing that causes us to withdraw from God. When our when our soul is hurting, when our when our soul is 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 conflicted, it affects us physically. Uh, I, I I know people who who have been physically sick because of their 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 soul is so heavy, and that when our soul is heavy, it is the thing that that causes a disconnect with our our connection with God it, it, we we disconnect with our spirit so this morning i want to concentrate on the soul and the 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 the, the, the struggle that oftentimes takes place in our lives because it happens in our soul now how, how many of you have ever had a struggle but you feel it physically uh, like an upset stomach uh, a, a headache. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we've all been there. See, the, 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 the effect of the soul is great. Now, let me, let me, uh, well, let, let me give you the title of my message, and, and then hopefully this will start to make sense. Three enemies of the soul. Earlier I said there were three things I want to share with you that if you uh, misunderstand what these three things, these three enemies of the soul are, they will make you either bitter or better. Unfortunately, most people, it is, a, it is a source of bitterness in their lives because I personally believe oftentimes it's because people don't understand how God made us. See, when God made us like Him, to have a body, a, a spirit, a soul, and a body, God said it was very good. 
But if we don't understand oftentimes how we work, then the, 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 the connection of all three of those things uh, can actually uh, cause bitterness in our hearts and our lives. I want to read to you again because, because this, this is absolutely critical to understanding who we are as individuals. Verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, God saw everything. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. God did not make a mistake when he made you. God did not make a mistake when he made mankind to be like him. I, I have people occasionally will ask me, well, well, Pastor, you know, couldn't God have, have, have uh, uh, made this circumstance or make this person to, to not do what they did? And I said, well, well, yeah, God could do anything, but God gave each of us the ability to choose. And, I, and I, I, I've asked many people, okay, if God took away that ability to choose, what would you become? A robot. Do you want to be a robot? No. So as, the, as this conflict has the potential to take place in our lives, there are three enemies that we need to be aware of. And if I keep going the way I'm going here, we're going to finish really early. So, uh, if you if you haven't under if you haven't uh, picked up yet, I'm very passionate about this because, be, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, as I was as I was in preparation for this message, and and God was doing a work in my heart and my life, something happened. And point number one, well, let me give you point number one, and, 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 and then I'm, I'm going to talk for a minute. Point number one is discouragement. That is, to me, that's the number one enemy to your, to your soul. And anyway, something happened in the last few days that, that was very discouraging to me. And <clears throat> I, I got home, and, and it, how many of you are like me? That when you get discouraged, you you get you like to throw the biggest pity party. Okay, we all do that. Well, I'm pouting around and I'm you know blah 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 blah. blah. You know anyway. So <clears throat> as is my normal routine on Saturday, I tend I, I I most of the time read through this morning's message to just kind of refresh my mind and. And, and, and it just helps me kind of meditate on it a little bit. And <clears throat> I, I was reading through it, and I got to point number one, and I read the word discouragement. And God, <laughs> through my spirit, spoke to my heart and said, are you going to listen to your own sermon, stupid? You know what I said? No. <laughs> I want to be mad. How many of you have ever said that? Discouragement. Discouragement comes in many sizes, shapes, and forms. 
If, if, if we went person to person this morning, everybody could give a different form of discouragement. One of the many forms of, of discouragement is, is, is the word comparison. When we, when we compare ourselves with others, that is a huge, a huge source of discouragement. Why, why do you think that is? Because we, we never measure up. We always, we always compare ourselves with somebody smarter, richer, uh, successful, whatever. God, and by the way, God says don't do that. Okay, just, just saying. Uh, well, spiritual setbacks uh, uh, can be a, a great source of, 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 of uh, discouragement. Backsliding, uh, a continual struggling with a particular sin uh, can be a, a, an incredible source of discouragement. Uh, non-spiritual setbacks. You know, we can, we can get discouraged like what, what happened to me was just some bad news. Someone else or something always just kind of weighing you down. We all have people like that in our lives, do we not? See, discouragement, what, what, let, let's, let's define discouragement for a second. Because if we don't define this word, then we really don't understand it. But what is discouragement? Discouragement is an unrealistic expectation when we trust in people and not in Christ. See, when we, when we put our trust in people or in circumstances, what is always going to happen? We're going to be let down, are we not? It's just part of life. But Christ will never let us down. We, we have a solid rock to put our lives on. Satan can use discouragement to cloud our thinking and to uh, uh, make us vulnerable to defeat. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. See, the Apostle Paul was, was uh, uh, he endured all sorts of potentially discouraging situations. He, he went through so much, but he learned how to trust in Christ through them. Now, am I saying that discouraging uh, circumstances and, and situations are not going to happen in your life? That, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is when they do come, we have Christ that we can turn to. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, 
but through our outward man, or excuse me, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. See, it's in Christ that we can be renewed. Unchecked discouragement will always lead to number two, and that's doubt. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Stand ye therefore, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet uh, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. As I, as I was thinking about doubt and, and that particular verse, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I, doubt is one of those things that when it comes into my life, it feels like I am being bombarded with literally hundreds of fiery darts from Satan. And, and, and picture yourself, I, at least this is how I, I picture it, with the shield of faith and, and you're trying hard to, to, to put your faith in Christ and to, to allow Him to, to block those fiery darts, but there are so many coming at you and, and it, it just seems at times it is so overwhelming, it's impossible to stop them all. Am I the only one? But see, that's the struggle of the soul. That's the thing that, that oftentimes takes place in our lives. And <clears throat> doubt can cause us to ask many questions. Am I any good? What, 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 what am I good for? Does God even love me? I, I know, I know that that question has been asked by many of us in this room. I know because I've asked that question. Doubt will cause us to wonder what others think about us. Believe it or not, that's a huge motivation. Doubt will cause us to ask, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? The answer to every doubt is always the same the shield of faith. This morning we sung about faith. The verse, the, the verse at the beginning was about faith. Faith is the thing that can remove doubt. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, the most important thing that we can do 
when we feel as though the fiery darts of doubt are flying in at us faster than we can catch them, the best thing we can do is turn to this book. This book is the source of our faith. And when our, when our faith is weak, He is strong. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, <clears throat> teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Sometimes when <clears throat> it feels overwhelming, the best thing we can do is sing a scripture song. Sing a, sing a song that something that God brings to your mind. The third enemy of, of the soul is division. Discouragement, doubt, and division. Now I want to read you a verse and you're going to say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. They say, what's that got to do with division? Well, it's got everything to do with division. What is the most divisive thing that you and I possess? Our, our tongues. And a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers, pitchers of silver. In other words, our words can be uniting or dividing. Let's look at three types of division and then we'll be done. The first one is friends. Division from friends. In Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22, it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say, not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So you have to understand the question here from Peter. Peter, Peter, obviously, if you didn't realize it, but Peter was a Jew. And the, the Jewish custom of the day was that if somebody sinned against you, the law said that you only had to re forgive them three times. But Peter here, being the bigger man, if you would, comes to Jesus and says, hey, how many times... Uh, should we forgive our brother seven times? So what is he saying? He's like saying, hey, I'm going, I'm going the extra mile here. And, and Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. In other words, just keep forgiving. What's that, 480, I think? 490? No, whatever. Yeah, 490. So, so that means, okay, we can forgive. Okay, all right, that's 472. Okay, come on, man. I'm almost done with you. No, that's not what that's not what that's not what Jesus is saying here. And for unforgiveness is one of the things that will tear people apart faster than anything. 
And it all takes place in our souls. We choose to forgive or not to forgive. But pastor, you don't understand what this person did to me. I don't. But I do know that God has commanded us to forgive. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the first part of it says, uh, Then uh, said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, and we, we, we quote this verse and we, we, we read it at Easter time. But do you understand the impact of this, of this passage? Who is he talking about here? Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. These are the people that were spitting on him. These are the people that were, had nailed him to the cross. Who were saying horrible things about him. But what was Jesus' attitude? Forgive him. And I understand what it means to hurt. When somebody says something that is not true about you, I understand. But I have to forgive. Do you know why I have to forgive? It has nothing to do with the individual, but it has everything to do with my soul. Because that's how God made me. And if I don't forgive, what happens? I destroy my soul. Thus, causing a disconnect with my God. The second type of division is the division in the church. This is a real problem in churches across America today. Oftentimes it does start in the form of unforgiveness. But God says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, He says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift uh, in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. The enemy of division is devastating to a church. It is devastating to people it is, it, it, is, it is so destructive. That is why God says He hates it. Not only does He hate it, He also calls it an abomination. But the worst of all is division from God. Division from God. Now, I want to, I want to make one thing perfectly clear the division that can take place in our spirit because our soul is in turmoil does not in any way affect his love for me 
Do y'all get that? Because nothing can separate me from the love of God. In, in Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. But my soul, when my soul hurts, when my soul is overwhelmed, it can separate me from fellowship with God. What is, what is the first thing that we do when our souls hurt? We stop praying, do we not? More than likely, the next thing to go is, is the Word of God. Somewhere in the mix there is we quit coming to church. Why? Because our ability to commune or to communicate with God is gone. Discouragement and doubt can cause us to feel distant from God. It will affect our ability to Communicate with him. In the book of Revelation, we find a verse that I think is very telling. Because if you <clears throat> if you understand who it's written to, in, in, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, <clears throat> God is speaking to the church of Laodicea the lukewarm church. He calls them that. He, he says, you're lukewarm. And he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're not hot or cold, I, I'm, I spew you out of my mouth. You're just lukewarm. So, so who's he, who, who is he talking to? He's talking to a church or a group of people that are not in fellowship with him. Does, does, would you agree with that? People who their, their, their souls have have caused them to disconnect with God. But let's read verse 20. And, and again, he's talking to saved people here. This is not unsaved. This is saved people. He says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. In other words, what is he saying? He says, I know you're hurting in your soul. I know that there's been a disconnect between us. I get that. But I want fellowship with you. You cannot allow the discouragement and the doubt to overtake your life. You can't do that. Open the door and let me come in and heal your soul. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who's he, again, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who were hurting. And what is he, what is he trying to communicate? He's trying to, I believe what, what he's trying to say is, you know what? 
It's time for you to heal your soul. And there are times in our lives when we can be absolutely bombarded with things and people and situations. And Satan will make sure that those things that, that will bring discouragement and doubt so that he can cause division in our lives, division from our friends, division in our church, and but most importantly, division between us and God. And we cannot allow him to do that in our lives. If we do, Satan wins. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 again. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. I don't know if you underline or mark your Bible, but let me encourage you to underline everything and very good. And use it as a reminder as God has in my life. He did not make a mistake when he made us like him. He made us that way for many reasons, and we could go into all those. But don't let discouragement and doubt rob you from the joy that God has for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,